church, and the rest of you take about 30 seconds and greet those around you, learn somebody's name, maybe that you don't know. Stay standing, take out your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you do not have a Bible and would like one, raise your hand high. We got some men that are going to bring Bibles around, New Testaments, and it's yours to keep if you want, so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. John chapter 3, we begin a series today called Fresh Encounters with Jesus. And what we're going to do in this series is look at people who had encounters with Jesus, We don't know how long this series will go because there's so many encounters with Jesus in the Gospels. And uh, our hope and our prayer is that as we see these people encounter Jesus, you will encounter Jesus in a fresh way. John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Say, born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, say believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God or in God. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray your Holy Spirit 
would move. Holy Spirit, that you would come and teach us, instruct us. Let this word fall deep in our heart, in our minds. Give revelation, God. I pray today that you would grant faith and repentance to any who are not born again. And all who are born again would have a fresh revelation of what transpired the moment they believed. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that we can be born again. Thank you that the kingdom of God is available in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, in this series, as we look at fresh encounters with Jesus, the first that we're going to look at is Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. You might say he was an insider. He was religious. He looked good on the outside. Next week, we'll look at Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. She didn't look so good on the outside. So whether you think you're good or know you're bad, you need Jesus. <laughs> whether you think you're good like Nicodemus or know you're bad like the woman at the well, you need Jesus. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Next week, he'll tell the woman at the well, you're going to dirty water to get your needs met. I got clean water. I got living water. Both cases, you need Jesus. Now, what we're going to discover in this encounter is that Jesus is always about the heart. You see, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He had it all together outside. He, 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 was, he was righteous. He, he was a Pharisee. That's a, that's a group within the Judaism that kept the law. And they looked great on the outside. They were pious. They were religious. They could check the boxes. They, they looked really good. Everybody would have said, oh, they're godly. But Jesus says you need more. Because <laughs> see, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. There's a lot of people in America that are religious. A lot of people in the world that are religious. They check the boxes, they do the good deeds, they give to charity, they do the kneeling and the chanting and all the religious things. They may look good on the outside, but their heart is far from God. You remember what Jesus said often to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day? You're like whitewashed tombs. Whoa. You know, Jesus had this way of going right to the heart of the matter. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, and everybody thinks you're great, and everybody thinks you're great, and everybody thinks you're pious, and everybody would look to you as being godly, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Ooh. So Jesus is always going after the heart. And he's after your heart today. And so again, whether you look good on the outside or whether you know you're bad or think you're good, where's your heart? Jesus said, I want you to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I love this about Jesus because he met everybody right where they were. And he'll meet you where you are today if you're willing to open your heart to him. Now, we're going to be answering some very important questions. We're going to discover, why did a religious man need to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? How is one born again? And what happens when you are born again? And I've got an illustration that I hope, I've used it before, but using it a little different today, that I hope will help bring this home to you. Jesus encounters Nicodemus. And by the way, remember Nicodemus was the one in John 7 that came to Jesus' defense when he was kind of borderline on trial with the religious leaders of his day. He's also one that helped bury Jesus' body when he, after he was crucified. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus. Did he ever believe? He certainly was inquiring. He knew something was missing on the inside. He was intrigued with Jesus. 
I guess we'll find out one day whether he was a believer or not. Because Acts says that many Pharisees did come to faith, but we're not told whether Nicodemus did. Now, he came to Jesus by night. There's all this speculation about why did he come by night. Uh, Probably to kind of fly under the radar. He didn't want to be seen as one who is inquiring. Andy Hines said this week he thinks that he came at night because he was so busy during the day. It was the only time he had free time. I don't know why he came at night, but he did. And then it's interesting what is said next because it says, he says, Rabbi, teacher, we know you're a teacher come from God. Now, this is interesting. For no one can do the things that you do, the signs that you do, or the miracles you do, unless God is with him. So Nicodemus had obviously seen some of the miracles. He had observed some of the miraculous things that Christ had done, and it must have intrigued him. It must have said, man, this guy is different. Is he? Could he be the promised Messiah? We know now that he was, and he is Nicodemus is struggling. I love the way Nicodemus is presented in the, in the Chosen, if you're watching that. But here it makes me think, what had he seen? What had he seen that made him say, we, meaning not just him but others, you've done miracles, Jesus. Had he, had he seen Jesus give sight to the blind, maybe? Hearing to the deaf? Bringing, uh, taking away the fever of, of Peter's mother-in-law? Casting out demons? Feeding the 5,000? Which miracle had he seen? Maybe the woman who was bent over double and Jesus healed her and she got a divine chiropractic appointment from the Son of God and she stood upright and she was whole. But one thing that is absolutely certain, and I love this about Jesus, all of his miracles were motivated by compassion. It says as Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion and he healed the sick. Because he saw people in need and he wanted to help bring them out of their suffering. And he says the same to you today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that we see miracle after miracle. And I love the way John, the apostle, at the end of his gospel, he says, if all the things that he did and said were written, the books could not, the the libraries could not contain all the books that would be written. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? He did so many more things than we have in Scripture that the libraries couldn't contain it. Heal the sick, cast out demons, fed the 5,000, raise Lazarus from the dead, and he can do miracles in your life too. And the biggest miracle is the change of a human heart. Going from sinner to saint. Going from loving my sin and self to loving my God and my Savior. That's the biggest miracle ever. Hallelujah. So then he gets into this discussion where we'll spend the rest of our time. Where Jesus said, Truly I say to you, Nicodemus, unless a person is born again, they can't enter the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again? This week I I had an interesting conversation (laughs) with a Catholic priest. And um, it's, it's, Mark, you're my witness. I did not start the conversation, right? Okay? I, I was literally sitting there thinking, don't tell him I'm a pastor. But, but he asked the questions, right? You're my witness. And, and, you know, part of what came out was he almost asked this question like, um, what was it about being saved? That one was, it was, where in the Bible does it say saved? And it was like, 
It was, it was asked in such a way like, it doesn't say that in the Bible. And I'm like, dude, you just threw me a softball. This is so easy. How many verses do you want? I mean, Romans 10, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, confess with your mouth and you shall be saved. And then, and then he kind of said, oh, you must be kind of one of those born-againers. And it only says that once in the Bible. I'm thinking, no, it doesn't. 1 Peter 1 says we are born again to a living hope. That's the verse that we base our name on. So it's not just here, it's in 1 Peter 1 as well. What does this mean? Folks, eternity's at stake. He says if, unless you're born again, you don't enter the kingdom of God. Heaven and hell are at stake today. Your eternal destiny is at stake in whether or not you understand this and participate in this. Born again. So we're going to dissect this. I'm going to explain it as many different ways as I can because we must get this. This is super important. Why do we need to be born again? What is it about our condition that makes Jesus say, born again? So there's a, there's a birth first that needs to be transformed and reversed. Now again, Nicodemus, he's thinking, he's thinking humanly, Jesus is thinking heavenly. But the bottom line is this. The Bible teaches, so watch this. The Bible teaches that we are external and we are internal. Over and over. I can give you a ton of verses on this. You know, the outer man decays, inner man being renewed day by day. Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? The um, Bible says that when a believer dies, absent from the body at home with the Lord. So this is our inner being. This is our heart. This is our spirit. I've used my three circles. I'm just simplifying it today just by talking about outer person, inner person. Remember Jesus, again, he said, you Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside. You've cleaned yourself up. You do all these great religious acts, but your heart is full of dead bones. So the Bible clearly teaches that, that we are at least two parts. I think three parts, but I'm combining spirit and soul with this one. So just think of your heart, your inner being, that part of you that's eternal, Okay. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is sinful. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay? So when we are born into the world, we are born with what the Bible says is a sin nature. Our heart is sinful. It's separated from God. If you don't believe that people are born with a sin nature, you've never had children. <laughs> You don't have to teach them to be bad. You teach them to be good, right? They are naturally sinful. They are naturally selfish. Mine, mine, no, no. You know, we call it the terrible twos. Clear evidence that we're all born with a sin nature, with an inclination to go our own way, away from God and towards self. So this sin in our life, and by the way, this is why Jesus combines being born again with the greatest verse ever, he so loved the world, that we not perish in our sin, but we have eternal life. So, this sin in our lives separates us from a holy God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Jesus came, paid the penalty for sin, took your sin and mine upon himself, so that through him... 
we can be reconciled to God. So that's the simple gospel, which I'll explain in more detail in a minute. So again, we are outer and inner. So when Jesus tells Nicodemus, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So water there, some think it's water in baptism. I believe water here is the water of the womb. Because earlier, Nicodemus said, how can we enter a second time into our mother's womb? He's thinking strictly on a physical level. Jesus is taking it to a whole new level. And he's contrasting water with flesh and spirit with spirit. So you're born through the water of your mother's womb when you are born naturally, but because your inner being, your heart is sinful, dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1, you need something to take this away and replace it with something new in order to be born again. And what I love about the phrase Jesus uses, born again, is because it happens in an instant, in a moment. Do we have any pregnant women here? Bethany, would you be willing to be my prop number two? Stephanie Peacock did it in the first. And man, she, she jumped out of her seat, didn't she? She was loud and proud. She stuck her, she, she brought out Josiah, who's in the womb right now, just so loud and proud. You're due when? You're what? Kind of hard to hide anyway. So, you know, this is why in, in, in the old King James, when it talks about Mary being pregnant, it says she was great with child. <laughs> You're due when? Um, in a few months. Okay, in a few months. Now, what's going to happen is, you know, you're pregnant now, but in a moment, in an instant, there's going to be a birth. I mean, I love that on the birth certificate. It gives the exact time. Like, pow, yeah. there, born. They, they put that time down, right? You're so ready. That's exactly what Stephanie said in the first service. And so, thank you. Perfect illustration. Uh, in the same way, in the same way that Bethany is going to have a physical baby and it's going to be at a moment in time, Jesus is saying something needs to happen in our inner being, in our heart, in our spirit at a moment in time. In a moment. There's a spiritual transaction that occurs when you and I get saved. <laughs> I love the word. I'm sorry the Catholic priest doesn't like that word. But it's biblical and it's wonderful. Saved from what? Sin and judgment and condemnation. Saved to what? A relationship with the living God. Hallelujah. Not saved to religion not saved to works and do's and don'ts and trying hard. Saved into a relationship with Jesus Christ who created you, loved you, and died for you. Hallelujah be to God. So now, this explains why this next phrase is so important. Jesus does something brilliant here. Again, he's talking to a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament well. He brings up an incident that occurred in Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites are in the wilderness. They're complaining. They're murmuring. 
God brings judgment upon their sin by bringing serpents to kill them. But the very form of judgment, serpents, he tells Moses, put one on a stick. This may seem foolish to us, but it was God's way of bringing about salvation to them and pointing to the coming Messiah, Jesus. Put a serpent on a stick, lift it up, and all who look upon that, put their trust in that, will be saved from the judgment of God. Jesus points to this in John 3, goes to Numbers 21, and he says, Just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him looks to Him as their rescuer will have eternal life. This is crazy. Just as they put the serpent on a stick in the wilderness, the Son of Man, Jesus, I am going to be lifted up. I'm going to take the penalty for your sin and all who put their trust in me, not religion, not works, not their performance, not anything of themselves, put their trust in me, receive me into their life, will have eternal life. Thus again, the next verse is this one. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him looks to Him in the same way they look to that serpent on the stick will not perish, will not perish in their sin but have eternal life. Folks, the penalty's paid. The debt is paid. Atonement is offered. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sins, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Now watch this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin... On our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen. When Jesus died. Some people think. They have a subpar understanding of the gospel. I'm going to take you deeper today. Many people say. He died for my sins. Plural. He died for all those bad things I did. Yes he did. But that is not a full enough understanding of what he did. He not only died for your sins, plural, he died for your sin, singular, meaning your entire sin nature, meaning your entire old person, meaning the spirit, the heart that you were born with in sin, he took upon himself when he died on the cross. He took your old person He bore that upon himself because he was sinless. The judgment that came upon him is what we deserve. Therefore, he took your old nature so that when you believe in him, you get a new nature and a new heart and you are reconciled to God. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. This is why it's not by works. Ephesians 2. You are saved. There's another verse using that word. 
Not by your righteousness. You are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of anything you do, lest you boast. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but by His grace alone. Salvation is a gift. You simply receive it and say thank you. It's like somebody, it's like you owe a huge debt that you'll never pay. You owe a number of people an enormous amount of money. There's no human way you could pay it. But somebody comes and they say, I'm willing to put so much money in your bank account (laughs) that you'll have enough to pay all those debts and enough to live on for the rest of your life. That's what Jesus did when he died. He offered to put into your bank account enough spiritual riches to not only cover your sin, but give you everything pertaining to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. You've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, what if you don't receive this? The the gift is offered. Remember he said he came not to condemn, but to save, right? He so loved the world. Every person in this room, every person watching online, every person represented on that world map over there, he so loved the world. But does everyone receive it? No. So right after, the most popular verse in the entire Bible is probably the most overlooked verse in the entire Bible. What happens to those who don't receive? Let's read on. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He wants to save everybody. But will everybody be saved? No. Why? Because in order that the world might be saved, whoever believes in him is not condemned. It's so simple. It's so profound, yet so many miss it. But whoever does not believe, that's your choice. That's not on God. That's on you. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because that, if you do not believe, even though he died for you, If you do not believe, then this is still true of you. Thus, you're condemned already. Why? Because it says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But if you allow the one who loves you to take upon himself your sin and sins and old nature, then what can happen? You can have eternal life. That's what the scriptures say. So what happens When we are born again, this is profound. Listen closely. If you are born again today, and most of you are, I hope today you get an understanding like you've never gotten before of what actually happened the moment you were born again. Because you didn't just get a covering over of your old. You got something totally new. Just as that baby's going to come in a minute. So when you get born again, when you receive Christ, when you are saved, you get this. And it was prophesied in Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. Watch this as I read it. And a new spirit I will put within you. Okay? And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, meaning it's going to be moldable. It's going to be teachable. It's going to be able to be transformed from the inside out. I will put 
my spirit within you. And then I love this. I will cause you to walk in my ways and to follow my statutes. In other words, your desires are going to change. Nick talked about it. Things he used to want to do, he doesn't do anymore. He wants to live for God. He wants to grow in Jesus. Why? Because he has a new heart. And he has a relationship with Jesus. And that relationship is one. I want to know him better. I want to grow in him. I want to follow him. Do we still struggle with temptation? Of course we do. Because we still live in this old flesh. But when we understand who it is that lives in us, who we have within us, who we truly are, new identity, new nature, new spirit, new power, then we allow that to empower us, to change us, to transform us. Let me give you some other verses here. Listen closely. Galatians 2.20. It's my life verse. I, this is so good, I... Old, old I, old David, crucified with Christ. When he went to the cross 2,000 years ago, I was there. You were there. All that was put upon him when he died was everything that separates you from God. But then look at this. It's no longer I who lives. What does it say? Christ lives in me. Folks, that is transformative if you get this. Christ lives in you. Let me give you some other verses. John 14, 23. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And then he said, we, he and the Father, will come and make our home in you. <laughs> Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and fellowship with him and he with me. Philippians 1 and 6, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus. Romans 8, 9 through 11, four times it says the spirit is in you, in you, in you, in you. He even says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in in you. Philippians 2.13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to do. For his good pleasure. Beloved listen to this. Everything you and I need. To live a godly life. Has already been given to us. In Christ. This is why Peter says, everything pertaining to life and godliness, you already have. You need love. You need to love somebody who's difficult to love. The God of love lives inside of you. You need to forgive somebody who's hurt you and sinned against you. The God of forgiveness lives inside of you. You need grace to overcome weakness. The God of all grace lives inside of you. You need power over demonic spirits. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. <laughs> you need wisdom for a decision. The God of wisdom lives inside of you. You need direction. You need help. You need power to overcome temptation. The God of power lives in you and wants to transform you from the inside out. Folks, this is so good. So why, in light of how good it is, do so many not get born again? Why are so many not saved? And this is the judgment. 
The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light. In other words, they love themselves and they love their sin more than God. That's what he says. They don't come to the light because they don't want their deeds exposed. They loved the darkness rather than the light. If you love yourself and if you love your sin more than the God who loves you and gave his life for you, then you will not have this relationship with him. And so I call you today to repent, to turn from loving yourself, to turn from loving your sin, to embrace the one who loves you and died for you and gave his life for you so that you might receive a new nature, a new heart, and a new power to live for him. I have a lot of people say to me, Pastor David, I don't want to become a Christian because I won't be able to live up to the standard. Now, part of me says, I respect that you recognize there's a standard. I, I, I respect that you realize it's going to involve a change of your life, but you get it wrong in thinking that you will have to do it. And then I explain, listen, when you get born again, you receive the very life and the very power of God. You receive a new nature. You receive a new identity. You receive a new source. And that is what will enable you to live for him. And furthermore, he, he will even change your desires. That doesn't happen overnight. The born again happens in a moment. But the growth in that is a process. And we're all in that journey. So let's review. Here we have a very religious and obedient and dutiful man feeling that there must be more. <laughs> Jesus tells him that that more is a relationship with God and not religion. And that occurs when you're born again. And we're born naturally into sin, thus have a sinful nature, but the good news of John 3.16, Jesus came to die for that sin nature. To take upon himself our sin, shed his blood for that. He was like the one lifted up, so that we, by repenting or turning from our sin and trusting in his payment, receiving him into our lives, we can be forgiven and reconciled and have his very presence and power live in us. And his power in us is what will work to change us. I want to give you the opportunity right now to be born again. And here's a prayer that really covers the basis. And I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to invite us all to pray it out loud to support those who might be praying it for the first time. Lord Jesus, I confess I've sinned against you and others. Thank you for dying for all my sins. I turn from my sin and I trust in your perfect payment. I trust in your death and resurrection. I surrender my life to you. Come into my life, forgive me. Take control of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I trust that there will be some here and some watching online that are going to pray this, maybe for the first time in your life. But I just want to encourage us all to support those that are doing that, to pray this all together out loud. Because again, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. Changed in a moment. Receive a new heart. Receive a new spirit. So together, out loud, all who are willing, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned against you and others. Thank you for dying for all my sins. I turn from my sin and trust in your perfect payment. I trust in your death and resurrection. I surrender my life to you. 
Come into my life and forgive me. Take control of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you today for the good news of born again. Oh, Father, now I just pray that you would bring confirmation and assurance to any who have prayed this maybe for the first time. And for all those that are born again, God, I just pray for an encouragement upon them by the power of your Spirit. That your Holy Spirit will allow there to be true revelation of who it is. You, the living God, that lives inside of us. Oh, God, help us to believe your truth. Hold to your truth. Stand upon your truth. And experience your truth and the very life that you put within us. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. If the worship team would come on up. Here's one more thing I want to say. If you prayed that today, especially if it was the first time or if it was like maybe a deeper time, a more solid time than ever, I want to encourage you on this card, if you would, just put your information and then on the back, just put PTRC, prayed to receive Christ. Or I prayed that prayer. Leave it on your seat. Give it to me or one of the ushers. Because I would like to get with, I would like to just follow up with you this week and give you some guidance and how to take it to the next level and how to grow in that relationship. Prayer team, if you would go ahead and take your spots. You know, one of the things that I want to encourage us as a church to kind of step it up in is in how we go into this final time in our service. We always sing a song, but, uh, but the prayer team's available. But I, I want to encourage us to be more willing to just pray with somebody as we close. And here's why. As we all come with burdens. We all come with things that weigh on us. And we need to just take a moment, grab somebody you know, or go up to somebody on the prayer team. Just yesterday, I get a text from a former member of my church in Wisconsin that I pastored. Her 40-year-old daughter committed suicide. And that weighs on me. I hurt for her. Yesterday, I'm in a conversation by text with a very, very rich. He makes you look like you were tame as an atheist. And you know who I'm talking about. I mean, he's just so adamantly opposed to everything about Christianity, and it just breaks my heart. And so we all come with burdens, with needs, with things that were maybe in our own life or just for others. Listen, let's be more of a praying church. And so right now, just go. Begin now. Go to somebody on the prayer team if you have a need. Or grab a friend. Come down to the front. Just pray together before we go into this final song. Lord, I just pray now just for a spirit of transparency, a spirit of openness. Thank you that you're a burden-bearing God, that you said that you carry our sorrows and you carry our griefs. And thank you, God, that you said that you're a very present help in time of need. And I just want to pray a spirit of transparency over this church family. We would be more open to share our concerns, to get prayer from one another, to get that encouragement. So, Lord, come now. Just come and let there be a sweet time of just prayer and casting our cares on you. Thank you for the body of Christ. You come for prayer. Come for prayer.